This is John 11, 1 to 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Still in John 11, continuing at verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because many thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at 
his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Verse 38. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said that, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Of course, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. The story is rich with detail, and Jesus is doing things that we will probably never completely understand. From the beginning of the event, we are told by Jesus that he is glad that he was not with Lazarus when Lazarus got ill, for the sake of the disciples. Well, what does that mean? And then Jesus uses euphemisms to talk about death, talking about death in terms of sleep. At least when we say someone went to sleep, as in they died, we think of it as a euphemism, right? A softer way of saying someone has passed away. But what if Jesus really looks at death that way? What if death for all the saints is, is just going to sleep? We're told in this passage that this Mary is the Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume. And it's clear from the story that Jesus and this family are close. And yet Jesus permits Lazarus to die. That seems strange to me. Later in the story, Martha says, and a few minutes later, Mary also says, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus has already said the same things to his disciples before he even got into town. Why is it that Jesus doesn't heal his closest friend? Why is it that he allows Lazarus to die anyway? Maybe Jesus doesn't play favorites? Maybe it is appointed once to each man and woman to die and for both the friends and others of Jesus alike? There are a lot of questions in this passage that have to be answered. But I would say this. The things that are very clear far outshine the questions. The first thing I see here in this passage is that 
there is the absolute certainty that if Jesus had been present when Lazarus got ill, he could have not refused. He could not have refused healing Lazarus. This is revealed by everyone, by Mary, by Martha, by the Lord himself. It's the character of the Jesus they know. Jesus acts. He is reliable. He can be trusted. The second thing that's clear is that Jesus is on a mission to demonstrate that he has power over life and death. This is astounding. Mary tosses out a little bit of faith when she says she knows she will see her brother again someday in the day of resurrection. I mean, that's our faith as well, right? We know we'll see our loved ones again on that great day at the end of time. But actually, we learn a whole bunch more right here. Whatever the phrase, the resurrection of the dead means, it means this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the event we are looking forward to. Where Jesus is, there is resurrection. Already, today, now, and in every day of the future. Life breaks in whenever Jesus and wherever Jesus is present. Our hope is not in some cosmic plan that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit put together eons ago and that the scripture writers did their best to describe in their limited vocabulary and with their limited perspective. Our faith isn't what we can, our faith is not in what we can understand from scripture. Our faith is in Jesus himself, in God alone. Our faith is in the character of God, in their majesty, their power, and their love for us. Our life springs from God, from our gracious God. We are invited into the very center of the communion of God, where by faith we proclaim Jesus as Lord, and when we begin to follow him and live as members of his kingdom by his mercy and grace. This is the place of safety. This is where we are safe in the arms of Jesus. But if we think that safety for us is keeping our distance from all the mess of life, we have a few more things to learn. Thomas speaks the truth first. He speaks for the rest of the disciples to hear, I think. When the disciples challenge Jesus about his plan to return to Judea, proclaiming that it isn't safe to return, reminding him that just recently the Jews there were trying to stone him, that it was suicide to go back there, Jesus replies, there is work that must be done, and it must be done now. Now is the time for work, now while the sun is shining. And then Thomas says some glorious words. Did you hear his words? Let us also go that we may die with him. Don't you love those words? He's all in. Thomas is ready, ready to give up his life if need be. Give up his life to follow Jesus into action. If ever there was a time for us to get to work, it is right now. The opportunities for us to work have never been greater. The world is looking for the demonstration of Christ-like love. They're looking for it from fearless disciples. They're looking for it from folks who are not afraid of death because they know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You know, it's easy to whip up a crowd 
and get us all emotionally charged, ready to go out and change our world. We can shake our fists at COVID-19 and say, we will not be intimidated. We can risk our health to care for others, and many are already doing that. I would offer one word of caution before you plunge out into society to risk it all for Christ. Self-sacrifice for the cause of Christ must always be first and foremost self-sacrifice. It is one thing for me to risk my safety for the cause of others. It is quite another thing to risk the safety of others in a misguided attempt to prove my loyalty to Christ. When I place others at risk in order to prove that I'm following Christ, I have missed the point. That isn't self-sacrifice anymore. That is others' sacrifice. And we don't have the right to do that. Let me give you an example of what I mean. If I volunteer in the local hospital to assist the nursing staff to care for folks showing up in the emergency room, I do a noble thing. However, if I go door to door asking folks if they need help, I do not know if I am exposing others to the virus that I may or may not be carrying. Both gestures seem noble, but the second puts others at risk and is no longer self-sacrifice. We must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But I would raise an even simpler question than that. This may sound trite. You've already heard it in the movies, I bet. It is so oft-repeated, I'm almost ashamed to say it out loud. But I'll risk it for your sake. You say you're willing to die for the cause of Jesus? Yes? Outstanding. Are you willing to live for Jesus? I mean, live daily for Jesus. To go on living the Christian life, the holy, harmless life, the forgiving, meek, humble, gracious, kind, and gentle Christian life. Well, maybe you say, I mean, what does that cost? Well, yes, I'm willing to, to care for the sick, but forgive my offending relative? Or give up some of my wealth? Or endure discomfort? Or to make sacrifices? To give up watching the final episode of Survivor because my neighbor needs to talk to me? To turn off Dancing with the Stars because my neighbor needs me to get groceries for them? To skip my evening workout in order to help tutor the kid next door with his math homework? We trust Jesus with our lives, since we have no choice about that, really. But can we trust Jesus enough to give us the courage to do what is right in small, incremental, everyday kind of ways? Do you love him enough for that? It can be harder to live daily, minute by minute, than to sacrifice our whole lives in one grand gesture, I think. 
But I wonder what it is that Jesus really wants from us. I know this much at least. He wants us to know that he is the resurrection and the life. That we do not need to be afraid of death or any other thing when we are on mission for him. If the worst happens to us, he will be present to rescue us, to receive us, because he is utterly reliable. Sometimes what appears to be the worst does happen. But every time we take the communion meal, we remember what Jesus sacrificed for us. But we also know what the sacrifice has purchased for us. It has purchased reconciliation with God and eternal life. In these days, when the world waits for the daughters and sons of God to stand and be recognized, Jesus Christ is our rock, our resurrection. I'd invite you to sing a song with me as we close the sermon today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide its face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, his flood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and say. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, Dressed in his righteousness alone, Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Joy, my King, in what you give, 
Now may the one who is the resurrection and the life guard your hearts with his own peace. And And may he make you effective to do his will in a world desperate to see the love of Christ expressed in our lives. Serve the Lord. Be salt and light. To the glory of God. Amen.